All right, all right. Just give him a second. Good morning, everybody. All right. As you grab your seats, I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was, reconcil God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Annie. All right, today is the last sermon in this series, Membership Matters, where my aim has really been to convey to you uh, what membership should mean uh, and what it should look like in the life of our church. Uh, particularly, you know, there's kind of this theme that uh, we, we don't want to be uh, consumers, but covenant members. We don't just come to take and receive, but rather we come to, to give and partake. So this new proposed church covenant that we're going to vote on to adopt at our next members meeting really outlines how it is we are supposed to live before God and before each other. Uh, and there's, we've kind of looked at four paragraphs, and in all of those paragraphs kind of leading up to this, they've all been about kind of dealing with um, our attitude, uh, our mission, how we treat one another as, as family, being active participants in the life of the church, uh, contributing cheerfully uh, to the work of the church. And it, it's all been like inside stuff. It's all been like how we treat and live amongst and do stuff amongst one another. But here at the end, uh, we want to look at what does it look like when we leave these doors? What does it look like when we scatter and we go about our daily lives? And how does being a part of, a, how does being a covenant member here affect how we live out there? So here is the final paragraph of this proposed covenant. It says, believing every member is a missionary, we will personally make Jesus essential in the hearts, lives, and homes of everyone within our reach through the gospel proclaimed, understood, and practiced. If the other four paragraphs deal with the gathered church, how we live uh, and act together here, then this paragraph deals with how we scatter. And I think 2 Corinthians 5 that Annie just read is a really helpful text uh, to dive into, to lead our discussion, particularly because of one word and one concept that I think really gets at the heart of what it means for us as we scatter throughout the week around the world, around our city. And that, it, it, this word, this concept is this idea of ambassador. All right, so the first thing I want you to get is that everywhere we go, we are ambassadors for Christ. Everywhere we go, we are ambassadors for Christ. Yeah, some of you may have watched the Netflix show The Crown. Uh, the Crown is a, kind of a retelling of the life of Queen Elizabeth II. 
Uh, and in, in the first season, as the queen is uh, traveling on a, a diplomatic tour, she appoints her sister, uh, Princess Margaret, uh, to be her representative or ambassador for royal engagements. But this princess uh, was particularly unhappy with how the queen lacked flair and pop in circumstance. And so she goes out and makes it her mission to kind of bring color and personality and excitement to the monarchy. She goes and she speaks her mind to the press and, and jokes with the press and belittles other dignitaries and, and kind of does things her own way. And it doesn't take long when Winston Churchill, uh, Winston Churchill comes, the prime minister at the time, comes and rebukes her for her behavior. And he says, your royal highness, when you appear in public performing official duties, you are not you. And she says, of course I'm me. And he says, the crown, that's what people have come to see, not you. You see, every church is like an outpost or an embassy of the kingdom of God. We are inhabitants in a land, in a country that is not our home, and we are therefore ambassadors. We live to represent the king we serve in a land not our own. You see, we are not us. You are not you. We are Christ to the world. We are his agents, his representatives, his ambassadors. And what we do or don't do reflect on who Jesus is and on who his church is. And that's the first thing that I want us to see this morning. When we scatter, we are ambassadors that represent their king. We are ambassadors that represent their king. We talked a lot about in previous weeks how we treat each other. We talked about the hundreds of examples in the New Testament that talk about this command, the the one another's, right? How we are to love one another, honor one another, serve one another, care for one another, forgive one another, all those things. And that's how we treat our eternal family, right? That's how we treat each other. But when we leave these four walls or when we are not with our church family, how we act and how we live reflects not only on our church but on Jesus himself. Because we are not just church members, we are not just Christians, we are not just people who believe certain things about a certain God, we hold a position in a kingdom. We are dignitaries of a kingdom, of a kingdom that is invading, that is coming, and that is taking over, and we are the the forerunners, the ambassadors of that kingdom, and so our conduct now matters because it tells people about that kingdom that's coming. One of the top reasons people say that they don't go to church or won't believe in God is because of the conduct of other Christians in their life. They say, well, or they'll cite our hypocrisy. They'll say, there's no difference in that person. They're they're hypocrites. Uh, Their life's not changed. Why should mine? Think about how waitresses feel. When they tell you that the worst tips they get during the week is on Sunday lunch, when all the church people leave church and go to lunch. What does that communicate to people that were greedy and stingy and selfish? 
How do you behave at your kid's sporting event? I umpired enough Little League games as a 16, 17-year-old kid. I was umpired enough baseball games to know uh, that grown-ups can act like toddlers as they uh, rant and rave and run their mouth and act like fools as they blow up on officials and coaches and even 10-year-olds. When people know that you are a follower of Jesus and they see you act that way in the stands, do you think that they are then going to listen to you when you invite them to church or want to talk to them about love and patience and the kindness of God? I don't think that love and patience and kindness is really rubbed off on you, you know what I'm saying? What about in front of your family? Do you fly off the handle? Do you act selfishly? Are you mean to your kids? But when you show up to church, you act like a saint and pretend? Do your kids see you and think, man, that's what Jesus is like? Or do they see you and think, if that's what Jesus is like, I want nothing to do with him? What about online? Have you considered that every post you make represents Jesus and it either represents him well or poorly? The things that you choose to stand for, the things that you choose to criticize, the the words and the tone that you choose to, to use and the way you conduct yourself on social media reflect on our church and on Jesus. What about in your political engagements? Do, you, do, you, do people see the way you not only talk about politics, but the issues you choose to be passionate about? Do people see that and think, man, you're just sold out to that political agenda? Or do they see you and think, man, this guy is thoughtful. This woman is thoughtful. He's, he, he's, he's leading his thinking and he's not being led by someone else. In every sphere of your life, home, work, play, online, you are an agent, you are a dignitary, you are an ambassador of Christ and your words, your tone, your conduct, your thoughts, your, what you do reflects on our church and on your king. The Bible tells us, you are not your own for you are bought with a price. You have been brought into the family of God purchased by the blood of Jesus and have been now commissioned as an ambassador. And so when people see us, do they see Jesus? Because they should. Our mission statement reminds us that as we seek to make Jesus essential, that we have a gospel that must not just be proclaimed and understood, but a gospel that must be practiced. That we are to live out the truths of the gospel in our everyday lives so that when the world sees us, they know there is a God. Many of you have watched uh, the show Quarterback, uh, uh, a documentary that landed on Netflix, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago. Uh, and many of you have watched that, and, and you followed these three different quarterbacks through last season of the NFL. And uh, one of them gets cut uh, pretty quick. He gets hurt, and he stops playing. So it really kind of follows two guys, mainly toward the end. And if you were paying attention, you would have noticed a striking contrast between two guys who were both profess faith in Christ, who both uh, talk the talk, but who, in reality, look very different. In Patrick Mahomes, you saw a man who thanked God for his success, who prayed uh, on occasion and, and, you know, points up sometimes, but then cusses up a storm, is incredibly arrogant. This is what I do. 
It's all about me. Look how awesome I am. And his attempts to honor God come across more like, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. But then you have Kirk Cousins, who most people watch the show and now have come to love because here is a man who loves Jesus and football as his side hustle. A man who takes Tuesdays off of his professional sport and says, Coach, sorry, I'm not going to be here on Tuesdays because I need to spend time with my family. Because he knows what's most important. A man who even when he wins is humble. And a man who, uh, uh, when he talked to this old guy from, from his old team, when they played his old team, checked in to say, hey man, how's the cancer going? And when he says, I beat it, he says, thank God, praise God. A man who lost in the playoffs. And we watch him drive home, put his boys into bed, and as he mourns the loss of losing the playoff game, sings, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When we say we follow Jesus, people start paying attention. And our actions tell them who Jesus is, and if we really take the claims of Jesus seriously, or it's just kind of like a cultural thing we kind of do sometimes. And it shows people whether Jesus is credible or not. Patrick Mahomes may go down as one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history. He might surpass Tom Brady. Who knows? But he'll ultimately be forgotten. But Kirk Cousins will hear the words from his king, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come and live forever. When people know you follow Jesus... What do they think of Jesus based on your life? If all someone knew of Jesus is what you modeled, would they have a high or low opinion of him? Remember Gandhi, what Gandhi said? He said, Gandhi said, I love your Jesus. I'm not really quite sure about those Christians. Here's what I'd love to know. I'd love to know what the reputation of our church is in our community. I'll be honest, I have no idea what it is. It's probably super complicated, nuanced and layered. That's what happens when you have a 51-year history. And I'm sure that there is good and there's bad and there's some confused things about our reputation. But it is our job to live in the world in such a way that when people think of Fellowship Baptist Church, they think, man, I'm not sure if this whole Jesus thing is like real or true or not. But man, like, I'm really glad that church is there. Because they do a lot of good, and they care for people, and they know they're not perfect, but they love people well. I'd go there because I know people who go there. I don't know if this Jesus thing is true or not, but I would go there because I know those people are genuine, I know they're kind, I know they're real, I know they're not perfect, but they don't pretend to be. They love Jesus and are really trying to follow his teachings. They are genuinely kind and compassionate. They serve our community. They help those in need. And they believe what they believe and they don't compromise. As an ambassador, our conduct matters because the reputation of Jesus is at stake. But also because people will not listen to what you have to say until you have earned the right to speak by living a consistent life with the things you say you believe. But that does lead me to this second point. The gospel practiced is important. We must live out these truths. But the gospel practice is no substitute for the gospel proclaimed. You have heard the slogan, probably, if you've been in church any time, you've probably heard this idea, preach the gospel, but when necessary, use words. 
And that's cute, you know, you put that on a coffee mug, you know, that's nice. But that's hogwash. <laughs> that's dumb. D-U-M, dumb. Because the gospel can only be shared with words. Look at verse 8. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's a message, and a message has to be spoken. Second thing is ambassadors share the king's message. Ambassadors share the king's message. That's what we do. When you have been saved... And your life has been changed, right? Like, because, you know, when you're on the outside, you don't get it, right? Like I was talking to a couple this morning where we're talking about outsiders kind of looking in and like, Christianity is weird, strange, doesn't make sense, it's odd. And, but but once, you, once you cross the line and you know Jesus and he saved you, everything changes, right? Your life's been changed through the gospel. And that only happened to you. And everyone in this room who, 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 who has trusted in Christ has a different story because someone along the way shared the gospel with you, right? Someone shared this message with you. And I want you to imagine for a moment that the person who shared the gospel with you, whether it was a preacher or a family member or a friend or a stranger, imagine that they did not, in fact, share the gospel with you. Imagine for a moment that they were too embarrassed or that they were too unsure of themselves. Imagine for a moment that they didn't want to be too pushy. Or imagine that, you know, they just, they weren't sure about the questions you might ask until they were too scared and so they didn't do it. And so they failed to share. If that was the case, where would you be right now? If the person that shared the gospel with you didn't. Now maybe you, you, you would have said, well, Brent, if they didn't, someone else would have shared it with me and I would have still believed. But, but what if that person backed out too? What if that person was unsure and they didn't do it as well? And what if the next person that had the opportunity didn't do it either and they chickened out too? You see, if no one had ever shared the gospel with you, you would right now be lost, apart from God, separated in your sin and bound for hell. Romans 12 reminds us that faith comes by hearing. That the message of the gospel must be spoken and articulated and shared. No one sees your life different and changed, though it may be, and then all of a sudden gets saved. No one sees you acting different at work and, you know, not cussing and not ripping on your boss and not getting drunk with everybody else and going, man, I just need Jesus. That's never how it happens. I can't. There's not enough information. They might go, you're weird. Why don't you do this like everybody else? No one sees you uh, mourn the loss of a loved one with a, a, a strange hope. And says, I need Jesus. No, they see that and go, how is it that your mom just died? And yet, through tears, you have this brightness about you. How is that? You know, I've been in two different kinds of hospital rooms. Ones that are, you know, people dying. Ones that are weighty and sad and hopeless. And where no one knows what to say. And I've been in hospital rooms where there's sadness and there's hurt and there's ache, but there's also joy and hope because they know where this person's going. And when you walk into that room and you're not a Christian 
Like you're like, what's going on? But that only sets up the ability to share the gospel. It opens the door. You see, a changed life opens the door, but sharing the gospel is what enables people to walk through the door. Your life being different matters, and it should be different. You should be changed by Jesus and not be perfect, but different. Values and everything is of a different kingdom. And now when people look at you, you're, you're strange, you're weird, because Christianity is strange and it's weird. And when they see that, maybe they ask, why, why are you the way that you are? And now you can share the gospel. And so your changed life merely sets up and opens the door, but sharing the gospel enables us to walk through it. You see, you are here today. You are here today worshiping Jesus because someone in your life shared the gospel with you. You heard it from somewhere from someone. Verse 8 reminds us that because we've come to Christ, God has now given, entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliations. He says, you know how thankful you are, how much you've been changed, how, how, how made new you've been by knowing me. Well, I want you to take that same message. That someone had the kindness to share with you, and you go share it with others. In verse 19, he says that it's been entrusted. He's trusted with you, the most prized possession in the universe. That God and men can be reconciled and made whole again. Our, our relationship that is broken can be restored. He's entrusted that to you, that you would go and share it. Now, you know who he didn't entrust it to? You know, every time some famous person kind of comes out that, like, they're a Christian, we get all excited, right? Like, I remember when Miley, I came out, Miley Cyrus was a Southern Baptist. We're like, oh, man, people are going to get saved. You know, or every time we see our favorite football player, you know, talk about God, we're like, man, people are going to listen. They don't, that usually never really happens. They either usually are just kind of more like Patrick Mahomes or uh, they don't ever really talk about it. But do you know who God has really entrusted this message to? The weak and the foolish things of the world, me and you. The things, the, the people who don't have power, don't have influence, don't have might, don't have huge audiences to blast things out to. No, he's, he shared it with normal, average Joe people. Like you and me. He's entrusted the greatest message in the universe to simple, everyday people like you and me so that we would take it. And when people believed it, it wouldn't be because we were so persuasive and so powerful and so influential. It would be because God is so powerful and influential. And his message changes people's lives. Notice verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal to the world. God is speaking to the whole world, appealing to the world through you and through me. Let that sink in. The hope of the world, the same hope that you receive from someone else has been entrusted to you so that others may have hope so that you may share it. Now let me ask you a, a difficult question. Since the day you have been entrusted with the gospel, how many others have heard the message of the gospel from you? Since you, the day you have been entrusted with the gospel, how many other people have, have heard of this hope from you? God has chosen you to make his appeal to the world. 
You are God's mouthpiece. Like the prophets of old, now God speaks through you. He's given you a message. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to get creative. You don't have to be a great uh, speaker. You just have to repeat what you've been told. And how many of us have done that? Without a doubt, the area our church, probably the whole church in America, needs to grow more than any other is our ability to take the gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Far too often we are too busy, too scared, or too uninterested. But we can be for others what the person who shared the gospel with us was to us. We can be the conduit through which God changes people's lives. We just have to be willing to open our mouth. Because God uses the weak and the foolish and the broken things of the world to make his glory known. And so he didn't choose the most powerful. He, chose, he didn't choose the most polished. He chose you. Normal men and women, normal teenagers, average Joes. So do not let the weight of that pass you by. God has chosen you to speak for him a message to the world. Now what's the message? Look at verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says we implore you. We we need to plead with people. Not for our sake, but on behalf of Christ as his spokesperson. We implore you, we plead, be reconciled to God. Come to Christ, find forgiveness and be made new. The message we share is simply the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. That God made Jesus to be sin. That God made Jesus to take, he took all of your sin and he took the punishment of it and he put it on Jesus. The message is not, hey, if you uh, kind of get your life cleaned up, get better, you know, fix a few things, come in here, put some nice clothes on and act right, you know, you can come in. No, the message is, we all suck. We all screw up. And we've got a laundry list of errors and mistakes and foolishness in our past and in our present and in our future. But God in his kindness looked at his enemies, looked at those that had sinned against him. And he made his son, his most prized possession, to be sin. The one who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's this double exchange. God takes your sin. He gives you righteousness. He substitutes. He trades places with us. That's the message. That God will take your sin away and and bring you into his family. It's a message so simple a five-year-old can understand it. Sometimes we get nervous about sharing the gospel because we don't have all the answers to all the hard questions. But your job isn't necessarily to answer all those hard questions. Your job is to tell people about Jesus. You know, no one ever got saved because you convinced them evolution wasn't true. People got saved because they heard of a cross and an empty tomb. Why why is this idea in our church covenant? It is in our covenant because we are charged to gather together for worship. To gather together for spiritual renewal. But when we scatter, when we leave this place, we don't just go back to our lives. We go out as the church, scattered for mission. We scatter so that we might be ambassadors, speaking the words of our king, imploring people to change allegiance, to be persuaded and convinced 
that there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And if Jesus is raised from the dead, as all the evidence seems to indicate, then everything he said is true. And so we leave this place saying, look, the tomb is empty. Believe and let your life be changed. It's in our covenant because we aren't just the church when we gather. We are the church when we leave, when we scatter. We are the church when we walk out these doors and we go to live on mission to make disciples. By every week, we send out an army of ambassadors who go share the gospel and the hope to a dying world. And if we fail to be that, if we fail to scatter, then we're just a social club. If we, if we fail to scatter on mission, then we're just a social gathering of people who like to get together. Believe the same things. But we are an embassy. And we leave this embassy as ambassadors to go out and persuade others, implore others. Our king is coming. And his kingdom is better than anything you've ever imagined. Won't you join us? You see, we gather for worship and renewal to scatter for mission. We gather for worship and renewal in this building, in this room, and we scatter for mission. So as ambassadors, we both represent Jesus and the church to a watching world. And as ambassadors, we go and we share our king's message to all those who are willing to listen. But finally, as ambassadors, we are working toward the king's goal. You know, when you're an ambassador, you don't go to some foreign country uh, with your own personal mission, with your own personal agenda, with your own personal plans. No, you go to do the bidding of another. You go to advance the agenda of another and to complete his mission and his priorities. Guys, we live in a foreign land. Uh, We are serving the plans of a king who has sent us ahead of him. Well, that begs the question, what's the plan? What's the end goal? What's the priority? What's the agenda? We see, a, we see a glimpse of it here in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you read that in the original language, it reads slightly different. It reads like this. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Because here's what God's doing. God's big plan isn't to take your souls up to heaven so that one day you can float around. Hey, man, can see you float over here. No, the, the God's big plan is to take this broken, jacked up, pitiful world and all its vileness and brokenness and to make it beautiful again, to make it whole again. And we, guys, are part of that broken world, and God is making us and the whole world new. He is restoring it to his former glory. Like someone who would go and take a 64 Mustang that's been beaten and rusted out and wheels falling off and to restore it to its former glory. So is God taking this world that is rusting and falling and breaking, and he is restoring it to its former glory. God is working and weaving all of creation into something beautiful and glorious. He is weaving us too, therefore, into something beautiful and glorious. That's what we call sanctification. That God is taking the future you, the you that isn't here yet, the you that God is making, the you that one day you'll be, 
And he's bringing that into the present. He's taking that future version of you when you become the perfect dad, the perfect mom, the perfect spouse, the perfect friend, the perfect person. And he's bringing that future version of you and he's putting it in the present. Slowly, bit by bit. He's taking that version of you that's never jealous, that's never envious, that's never gossips, that's never lustful, and he's bringing that into the present. He is right now chiseling off of you all of the broken parts that are bad, and he is reshaping you into what you were always meant to be. Reshaping your mind, your heart, your soul, and your body. All of you is being made new. And here's why that's important for us to think about. Because as we think about the task laid before us as a church, if that is God's end goal, that he's making the whole world new, to make all things new, to make them pure and beautiful again, then our mission now has to be more than just seeing people converted. Our mission is to aid in that new creation project, bringing our whole lives and helping other people bring their whole lives into conformity with the rule and reign and image of Jesus. Here's what that means. It means your job as a Christian isn't just to believe the right things. It means giving Jesus the reins over every corner of your life. It means treating Jesus like the king and not the mayor. It means that there is no such thing as secular things and sacred things. It means everything is sacred and every corner of our lives Jesus cares about and we bring it all to him. And so that means that we should be striving to make Jesus essential everywhere. It means we change ourselves uh, into that future version. It means that we need to become the moms and dads that God wants us to be. It means that we need to become the sort of friends God wants us to be. It means we need to treat our money and our possessions in a way that honors God and makes sense of the reality that this world is broken and that world is going to last forever. It means that we put sin to death. It means we repent. It means that we work hard at our jobs and we see our jobs as cultivating the world around us and bringing order from chaos. It means that we work to make beauty and wholeness everywhere we can. It means that conversion is not the touchdown, that baptism is not the touchdown, but merely the kickoff. It means that discipleship is a lifelong pursuit whereby we keep learning, we keep growing, we keep changing, we keep getting better, we keep seeking holiness, we keep seeing every day, every area, from the office to the bleachers to the classroom to the playground to the living room and everywhere else that God cares about those things and we need to be discipled to walk in faithfulness in every one of them. It means... That we strive to make Jesus essential in our hearts, lives, and homes. It means discipleship is not for Sundays only, but for Mondays and Tuesdays too. It means we have a holistic view of God, that he's making all of us, all parts of us new. And it also means that when we scatter, when we go into other people's lives, that you're not there just to share the gospel with them, but to disciple them. You are helping bring people in their whole lives, into conformity with the image of Jesus, speaking wisdom and insight into their lives to help them be made new, to be made whole. They may have been a Christian for five years, but they still got growing to do, and maybe you've been following Jesus longer and you're further along, and you're helping them take the next steps. It means that when we care and serve people, we do not just care for their souls, 
in some abstract spiritual way. It means we care for the whole person because God is making all things new. We see this in Jesus' earthly ministry. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He spoke not just to their heart problems, but to their thinking problems, to their money problems, their relationship problems, and their problems with the government. If Jesus just died on the cross and forgave us of our sins and said, "Good guys, believe and I'll, I'll save your souls, then we should not think about the body. We should think that the body is a temporary meat suit by, with little temporary importance. We could teach on spiritual things and meditation, and that's all we would do. But Jesus did not stay dead. No, very intentionally, he was raised from the dead and in so doing launched a new creation project where he is the first piece of the puzzle of making all things new. He's new, and he's still physical right now. He's been resurrected from the dead. He is the first part of a new creation. And now all of creation is headed in that direction, being built into something new. Jesus' lifeless dead body didn't stay dead. And it's because he's making all things alive from the dead. And so it means life and the things in your life and how you live life matters right now. Because God is making them all new. It means there is room to grow. And God is helping us to grow. And it means that when we leave these church walls, we go and we help others grow into full, holistic disciples too. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you're sitting in your house doing your thing. And all of a sudden, like 10 black SUVs all roll up in your neighbor, in your cul-de-sac or wherever. Pull up in your yard or whatever. And, and, and Secret Service agents get out with their Uzis and they're all like, you know, and, you know setting up the perimeter. And you're like looking through the blinds, you know, like what in the world is going on? And in comes, walks the president of the United States into your house and he says, uh, you know, uh, we got this, this crazy stuff going all over the world and we got some craziness going on with, with Russia right now and this war in Ukraine and all this. And I want you to go be my ambassador to Russia. You don't really get to say no. He's saying, you're going to be my ambassador to Russia, and we're going, to, we're going to figure out all the details. I want you to go do that. You know, that would be incredibly scary. It would be hard. It would be honoring. It would stretch you. It would be risky. But if your job was to go and to be the ambassador to Russia, you know you might change the world by what you do and what you say and how you advocate and how you hold yourself and how you do everything at your job. You could uh, change the world. You would go and you would live on an embassy, right? And an embassy is a, is a little piece of property that is the United States of America in Russia. And you would live on that little piece of land and you would go and you would speak to important people, maybe to the president, and you would go and, and you would advocate the mission of our president and the agenda of our president. It would be scary. It would be hard. Be honoring, but it'd be terrifying, and you could change the world. The thing is, we don't have to imagine that scenario could happen because it has happened. And someone with far more authority and far more power has actually made you his ambassador. God has sent you to a foreign, hostile land, a place called America. And once a week, we get to gather in an embassy to be. Reminded of our task to recoup, to recharge, to refocus. And then we go back out into this foreign, hostile land called America every week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. 
And we go out and we get to have important conversations with important people who are made in the image of God. And we get to represent our king by our conduct. And we get to share his message with people. And we get to advocate his goal by making disciples of everyone that will listen to what our king has to say through us. God is speaking to the world through us. This is true of every one of you right now who is in Christ. You're ambassadors. The only question is whether or not you're very good at your job. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the task you've given us. A task to be ambassadors in a land that is not our own. That our citizenship belongs to another kingdom that it's on on its way. And right now we get to gather in this embassy to be recharged and refreshed and to be reminded of our task. But we got to go out tomorrow in our homes and in our workplaces, to restaurants. And God, help us to remember that we don't just go as people living in a world that's our home. We go as ambassadors to a hostile nation. A nation that is hostile to the things of God and the coming of that kingdom. And we've got to go and represent you well to the watching world. We've got to go and we've actually got to share the message that you've given us to share. You've told us what to say. Now we've got to have the courage to go say it. God, would you give us the courage to go out and say it? And we've got to go live out this goal to bring all things into conformity with you and your image and, what, and making everything new. Bring our own selves into that and everyone around us. Father, what a weighty task. You could have given this to some people who are far more equipped. You could have given this to people with far more power and far more influence. But instead, you gave it to the likes of us. I don't know what you were thinking. But you know better than me. And you trust the moms in this room, the grandmothers in this room, and the dads and the grandfathers. You trust the the teenagers in this room and the kids to take what they know of the God who saved them and to represent and share and work toward his ends wherever they go. God, would you make us a church that actually sees ourselves as ambassadors and missionaries everywhere we go. What a weighty task. Father, help us to live up to it. Help us to be stretched to live up to it. If you're here this morning and I can pray with you about anything, it would be my honor to do so as we sing this song. If you're here this morning and you cannot be an ambassador because you're, you're still in your sin, you've never come to Christ, maybe you got questions, maybe you got some arguments, maybe you're not sure, Maybe you think it's all silly, but you want to talk through that. Or maybe you say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brown, I want you to pray with me that I would have the boldness to go to work tomorrow and share the gospel with that coworker that I know I've needed to, and I've just been too scared to do it. Let me pray with you about that. Wherever you're at this morning, let me walk with you through it. God, we love you so much. Thank you for your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. All these people said, let's stand together.